The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's weekly podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm the editor of Capital Weekly. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And Jennifer Fearing. The one and only, the president of uh, Fearless Advocacy, or you're it, basically. Uh, you're, you're looking at her, or you're so, hearing her. <laughs> um, first of all, you said uh, there might be some news to report today on our podcast, and we don't often have real news on our podcast, so tell me about SeaWorld and about the orcas. You yeah, yeah, well, it's exciting. Obviously, the news broke last Thursday, early morning, kind of all the national networks, the CEO of the Humane Society of the United States, who I've worked for for a decade, and the CEO of SeaWorld appeared jointly to announce a new partnership uh, and agreement of these, you know, long-time adversaries, um, now allies, and a, an agreement that SeaWorld will no longer be breeding any orcas uh, in captivity. They know they haven't taken wild-caught orcas in a few decades. So this really mm-hmm. is the last generation of orcas in SeaWorld's possession worldwide, and they, they have about 29 mm-hmm. orcas across all of their parks. They These are the last 29, um, and they are no longer going to perform in theatrical shows and SeaWorld's going to start redoubling their investment in rescue and rehab and advocacy for wild mammal, marine mammals. So a a huge, huge change, um, certainly from those of us who were at the Coastal Commission meeting in October, which was more than a little adversarial on this issue. Why do you think think there's been the change? What do you think prompted the change? Is this something that developed over time, or was there suddenly an epiphany and they thought, hey, we got to do this right now? Well, it's, I think, first and foremost, a business decision. I think it's a smart business decision. Um, SeaWorld stock has really been hemorrhaging, um, and ticket sales and you know, are way down. And we can probably pinpoint all of this to the documentary Blackfish, which was released oh, okay. in 2013 and you know, was picked up by CNN and played more than 30 times on CNN before going on Netflix. And it unleashed really just a torrent of public opinion, and it had a dramatic impact on park attendance and, um, and on their stock. And, of course, Assemblymember Richard Bloom introduced a bill in 2014 right. that would have ended orca breeding, which was fiercely contested uh, at that time. And then the Coastal Commission sort of actions unanimous vote in October to require them to end orca breeding if they wanted to build a new a new project. So, so that was the, a lever the Coastal Commission does, you know, 1,100 miles of coast, basically zoning issues. But right. they use that as a way of... It, as a marine resource, they sort of interpreted their authority broadly to, you know, killer whales mm-hmm. are a California marine resource, whether they're sort of in the wild or captive. Obviously, you know, SeaWorld, at, at least now, you know, they're litigating that. We'll see where our hopes is that they, they intend to settle it, um, given the new announcement. But, you know, I think it's been a cumulative event, but all it, I think it really signals is them sort of trying to right their ship and get, you know, square themselves with public opinion. And, and if the stock market's any indication, it was up 17% on Friday um, oh in reaction um, to this announcement. So I think kudos to their new CEO. He's only been on board a year. He's been cleaning house and, you know, came came to the Humane Society and to Richard Bloom kind of seeking a new way forward. Oh, so it came from SeaWorld. Yes. Wow. Yes. So they're no. doing the right thing and they're making money too? Well, you know, we've been trying we to call figure it... that out at Capital Weekly. We haven't done that. Hey, well, that is certainly the underpinning of fearless <laughs> advocacy. But, uh, you know, we've long held at the Humane Society, and our CEO has a new book actually coming out in the next month called The Humane Economy. 
that, you know, businesses that align kind of their corporate right. values with the public's values when it comes <clears throat> to animal use, um, those that get a, get there faster, there there is a business win well, in there. And there's definitely been a change. I'm, I'm trying to think of the chains. Several chains have actually uh, removed antibiotics from the animals and took that as they use as a big PR push. Absolutely. Well, and you remember Prop 2, which was sort of my kind of um, uh, first big engagement here in California. Prop 2 in 2008 was on the same ballot as President Obama. Uh, it outlawed the extreme confinement of primarily of egg-laying chickens yes. was the effect here in California. And, you know, we're eight years um, out from that. And if you're a regular subscriber to meetingplace.org, and I spell that M-E-A-T-I-N-G, uh, ah, okay, now I got um, Okay, took yes, me a while. Yes, right. as someone who, you know, is paying That's close clever. attention to the meat trade press, uh, <laughs> it's extraordinary what's happened since that. Not only did that did that public policy pass with 63.5% of California voters at the time, it was more support, more yes votes for a citizen-backed initiative than any in California history. Really? Um, yes, wow. yes. Um, and... You know, you see that followed up by changes in corporate policy, and all of this is driven by the fact that we're out of alignment. You know, no no one who buys eggs thinks chickens should be crammed in tiny little boxes where they each have less than a letter-sized sheet of paper to live their lives. So when that gets sort of exposed through things like our ballot measure and its yeah. popularity, companies start coming on board. And we just, we have been, on, you know, more than 100 major retailers have announced in the last two years that they have new corporate purchasing policies where, you know, sometime date certain come in here soon. They will only be buying eggs from producers and who use cage-free systems. Too. I mean, it's absolutely good for their – and it's affordable. I mean, this idea that there's some tension between doing what's right and what's affordable yeah. doesn't make any sense. Even the egg industry's own economists, back in 2008, we knew it cost less than a penny per egg um, to raise um, chickens in a cage-free system versus a cage system. Consumers see a couple dollar price, you know, increase, but that's an ethical premium being charged by retailers and producers. That's not indicative yeah. of the underlying cost of doing the right thing. Yeah. So, so you know, we see lots of evidence, whether it's animal testing and research, you know, where where there when the businesses are sort of out of sync with where the sort of humane kind of public values are, there is a tension. That's where the tension is. Now, and businesses that get it right get compensated for it. Now, what's interesting is that's totally true in California, but I have seen sort of the opposite in some ways in other parts of, of the United States. I think it was Idaho banned cameras going into farms because they were going, you know, activists were going in and filming the horrible, horrible things that happened in pig farms, things like that. So the response was not, let's clean up our act. The response was, let's ban anyone from bringing a camera, a hidden camera into a farm. You know, that same bill got introduced here. And it was absolutely walloped with 21 newspaper editorials within three weeks of yep. being introduced I, and never even got brought up for a hearing. It was, But I will tell you that Idaho law is being challenged in court and we think it's fundamentally unconstitutional. Yeah. Well, it seems um, <laughs> would seem like it would be uh, definitely right up against the First Amendment. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, I think those sorts of efforts certainly um, are occurring in states slightly redder maybe than ours. But long term, those are those are not the way forward for companies. And again, we've taken our, our message directly to people and to retailers. Those, you know, making large, large scale kind of buying decisions. And you've got Walmart and McDonald's and Burger King and all the major producers. You get a handful of those changing their purchasing 
you know, options, producers get on board with changing the way they do it. So it's, it's been a remarkable, you know, I think decade. Um, but, but this SeaWorld, um, uh, change last week, you know, is it equal, it's kind of equal parts, totally surprising given their Mm -hmm. sort of stance and expected based on sort of, again, what our notion of like, Hmm, like did they think public opinion was going to turn back, you know, turn back in their favor? Uh, Unlikely. Mm -hmm. No, you know, on a, on a bit of a small, scale, I ran into an um, a outfit called Birchbark Foundation down in Monterey. And it was because of, uh, one of my family members had a dog, large St. Bernard, that was ill and needed surgery. And it turned out that this foundation, uh, doctors, veterinarians donate their time mm-hmm. to, to basically cover, perform surgeries that otherwise would be really expensive. And, you know, it's for people... Uh, maybe young people in their 20s or 30s with families and they have bills and so paying two or three thousand dollars for example for a veterinary surgery well you raise i mean in many ways the pet related issues are tracking with kind of human issues particularly in the realm of healthcare. Uh um you know and thankfully there is a burgeoning pet health insurance market i my dog is insured by pet plan which is veterinary pet it's a veterinary form of veterinary pet insurance and 90 percent of my veterinary expenses are covered based on the premiums i pay which is significant given that he's a 15 year old dog like we're visiting the vet on a regular basis, but this is this is one of the more kind of pressing kind of companion animal welfare issues is this kind of gap between like these incredible medical advances you know on the veterinary front that are available yeah. to extend animals' lives, but an inability of people really to be able to afford. Sure. Um, so you buy to that coverage care. then from an insurance company. Yep, just it's like indemnity. You- so you pay the bill and then they reimburse. They reimburse you uh, okay. dependent on your policy, and I have a policy that reimburses it 90% after a $200 deductible. It's amazing. Um, you know, our friend Kathy Bowler, who's our mm-hmm. neighbor here in the, the Retro Lodge building, her Irish wolfhound got close to $14,000 worth of oh, reimbursements wow. for uh, a wow. bone cancer a couple years ago, and she was profiled in the New York Times about this. But we, we keep trying to get the message out. There actually are good companies offering this gap. A bridge to cover this gap for folks because we worry oh. there's a lot of animals out there probably, oh, yeah. ha- uh, you know, suffering or, you know, even in, you know, middle income families who may be suffering or whose lives are ended earlier just through an affordability issue. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, switching topics. Yeah. Um, you also are involved in women's advocacy issues and women's rights. So I know you don't like talking about that at all. So I thought I'd ask you. Oh, yeah, I hate it. Well, I really, truly wish I didn't have to talk about it. And I really, I actually am kind of a begrudging um, uh, voice on this. It's certainly not a client-based issue unless I count my gender uh, as a client, which I guess I do. <laughs> but the billing is terrible. Yes. Um, you know, yeah, you know, a couple years ago, a few of us just started noticing with more frequency that panels, you know, at conferences um, uh, uh, around the capital area just seemed to be short on women. Um, since I'm sitting here, I'll, you're, the list, the top 100 list certainly was one where there was um, uh, just far less representation, I think, not... Not just not because there are are absence. We think of yeah. women in pro, in roles where they're making a difference. They were just somehow getting missed. Um, you know, the problem isn't that women aren't in powerful positions. It's that they aren't getting called for news stories. They're not getting recognized. Yeah, and I I, I mentioned to you before we started chatting that mm-hmm. just last week there was a piece in the L.A. Times that quoted fourteen. Sorry, it was the Sacramento Bee quoted fourteen 
women, 14 men, zero women. I mean, 14 people is a lot of people to quote in a story to begin with, but yeah. I, I don't even know how you don't accidentally quote a woman um, with that many folks. And to think that other no women, and that in this case the, the topic was uh, Trump and Schwarzenegger and kind of comparing the two um, and their sort of political... Um, rises. I mean, are there really, is it really the case that there are no women with an opinion about that? And, and so it's, yes, we be our win like a girl, our hashtag win like a girl effort. We're trying to take a proactive kind of productive effort and compiling lists of women and their expertise and their availability and encouraging those women to be quick in responding to reporters or others, uh, others inquiries. And I can tell you as far as, <laughs> as putting together events, they're very quick on the response because we'll we'll release a list of, of the speakers or proposed speakers or whatever and get emails or phone calls within nanoseconds. Well, they're, I don't mean in a reactive than, mode. I mean, like, no, I mean, I, we've heard from some reporters that that um, they call, you know, that for whatever reason, and this is, I don't have an explanation for this, but for whatever reason, the men they call, you know, as kind of spokespeople for different issues are very, are quick to respond on their deadline. And then, like, they say that women are, are not getting back to them fast enough. Um, that's been one of the sort of explanations for that why. That is interesting. Um, yep. And, or that the panel's like, oh, I tried to get several women to be on these panels and they all turned me down. So we just we ended up where experience. we ended up. So on our side, you know, be encouraging, you know, women the, to, to own kind of their responsibility. And if, you know, we want equal representation, we have to at least uh, accept the invitations that, <laughs> that come our way. Now, but, this is something actually, you know, you bring this up. If you look at the makeup of the Capitol and the actual legislated, the, the elected legislators, the makeup is not 50-50. Absolutely. And there have been several studies that I've seen in the last few years about why that is. And one of the, one of the reasons I've seen cited is that women do not want the negatives of the political life. And can you speak to that? Is that? Have you run into people that have had that feeling? Do you think that's an accurate assessment of why there are less women in elected life? You mean like the, the exposure or the... The nastiness, the exposure, the, you know, the level of sort of ugly combat you have to go through to get anywhere? Well, I think there's an interesting kind of, you know, psychology, yeah, to the type of adversarial engagement that women, you know, which can be, is not as fraught, perhaps, as sort of a male-driven kind of, um, yeah, kind of ugly ugly willingness to kind of go there uh, on, on certain issues. I, I, it's hard for me to speak to what's, what's driving kind of women's, you know, maybe lack of pursuing uh, elected office. That's, but I can tell you that within the lobby corps or the advocacy corps or the staff, I mean, they're political consultants. There's no shortage of really ambitious, solid, smart, engaged, you know, women in the Capitol uh, who, again, I mean, they're already in the holding those roles. Where are, why, why don't they? Why don't they show up? You know, in these stories and and um, or on these panels. And you know, I think that the kind of awareness that we're raising is making people sensitive. A couple years ago at a SAC Press Club event, I had made a, a sticky pad with a sharpie. I had written, "Don't forget to call a girl," and I gave it to every reporter there and asked them to stick it to their monitors. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I you know whatever 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 it takes. But I you know I apparently like, you didn't make one for the B reporter. I'd like to think that things are you know kind of generally approving and. Kind of certain. There's a certain amount of carrot and stick, right? Like proactivity and reaction that's sort of required. There's a great website I discovered in all of this called Gender Avenger, and there are women who say that they are post ambition, so they don't care so much about the kind of because there is there's a cost, right, to calling out um, members of the media. Like you know, folks in my line of work are kind of also reliant on the media and helping kind of get our our messages out. So sort of calling them out on these issues that for me are unrelated. 
you know, to my business work, you know, is a risk that's being taken. So the gender Avengers, which, you know, being post-ambition, that's something I'm now newly looking forward to, <laughs> that phase of my I'm life. Post-ambition, but, does that mean you've accomplished career goals? Or? Yeah, so you don't really care about a journalist sort of getting angry with you or someone else, a panel conference organizer or someone important who may have, um, you know, uh, underrepresented that are, are, you know, women in whatever it is they're their event or their story. So you can ask the gender Avengers to call these folks out and they've got a hall of shame uh, in in this hashtag all male panels um, that started up as a Tumblr. So there's a whole bunch of these sort of others. I think what's going on in Sacramento on this is just a microcosm of a bigger issue. I don't think it's profoundly, you know, uh, know, an issue that that the capital community, you know, is grappling with. I think we're just seeing our version of it. I think we're, they did actually a breakdown a while ago and I think, California was actually one of the more, at least as far as electeds, we actually had, I think, more women than most most other elected bodies. So, well, I guess least- I will. I will just say this. I think that you know, at first we were sort of. You know, I remember on your own list, like, oh, who even? You know, you know, these are just sort of for fun. Who, you know, like, you know, what. You know, these panels, all these things. I can tell you that for folks that are in the advocacy space or the campaign consulting, you know, if you don't think that folks that appear on your list don't list that in their, you know, their resumes and their CVs when they're pushing it out to, you know, get new clients or that, that appearing on panels that oh, yeah. put you in front of hundreds of other mover people and shaker are, types. People are really know. intense about lobbying about this. And what started, I think, is sort of a... This being the list. Interesting way of talking about the top 100. Mm -hmm. About what started, I think, as being sort of um, a bit of a different snapshot about the Capitol became really the subject of intense discussion and intense debate. And I uh, probably, every, I I would say every year it goes up, the number of emails I get on specifically this issue goes up by probably a factor of five, maybe five or ten. There are a lot of people really interested in it for various reasons. It could be the issue you're talking about, or it could be, why did you have that person on there? Yeah. One time I got a, in fact, when we first started it, a guy called and said, look, I don't care who's on that list, but you better not put that guy on. Well, you know, these third-party validations that come from being asked to be in panels or quoted in a news story or appearing on that list, they are actually a currency, you know, for folks that work in this business in one way, shape, or form. And they raise people's status. And you, you know, ask the question of, you know, people who run for office are people whose status has sort of, you know, grown in their community or in political realm. So, you know, all of this kind of feeds, you know, into it. And I think it's important, you know, and I've, I've been happy to contribute my voice because I actually don't think I'm uh, under <laughs> underreported. You know, in the work I do, I actually think I've. What's your you, name again? <laughs> I think I've hustled enough. You know, and and um to to uh, you know I don't have a complaint to make there. So it's not about advocating well, kind of lucky, for myself. You're lucky you're working with humane because animals and everyone else. I mean, excuse me, reporters and everyone else love animal stories. So you're lucky that you're you know. It's not like you're talking about pharmaceutical supplies. Except for me. I don't like that dog. I'm no. sorry. I don't like the governor's dog. What? I don't like Sutter, and I don't I like I should have known this. I don't know if I would have agreed to this interview, <laughs> this blasphemy. John is only John is He's balancing off because uh, our, our reporter, Samantha, who is uh, who got headhunted by Channel 10, but... Um, but she had basically lacquered the office in pictures of Sutter and, you know, the Capital Weekly drove Twitter site. It was solid. It was all Sutter all the time. So I think John had a little bit of a reaction. I like dogs and I like cats. I got three and I got a big galumpy dog of, of, of an undetermined species. I'm not quite sure exactly what, but 
the cute little dog all the time just got me on the I, I got to tell you, though, there's something about that guy. I, you know, I took six weeks off and went around the state. Sutter and I went around on the Prop 30 campaign, oh, and we went to 30 county Democratic offices, and if people made 30 phone calls for Prop 30, they got their picture with Sutter. <laughs> I want you to know, because someone looked, you know, checked into it, it's estimated that we gained $950,000 worth of free earned media out of that trip. Wow. Wow. A dog. I believe a it. A dog and a tax increase. Somehow, okay. I am like, justly <laughs> reproved. Okay. <laughs> He's a phenomenon even beyond, you know, I'm not typically surprised by people's kind of reaction to animal issues. I've been doing this a while and I, you know, I've gone a little numb to just how, how, uh, how much a phenomenon, you know, different issues can become. But that one, when we got, we got... <sighs> Uh, surprised at the San Diego County Democratic Office with 30, we had a corgi meetup of 30 other corgis, <laughs> or watching Sutter get the key to the city of Chico from the oh. mayor on live TV. Okay, now you're losing me. Now you're losing even me. Even I, even I was dumbfounded. <laughs> they put the key on his dog, on his collar. <laughs> All this, and Lucy isn't jealous a bit. Well, that was <laughs> Well, see, there's things. Women do not Lucy. get an equal amount of thing. You know, Lucy, Actually, she's 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 joined his Facebook page. She doesn't. She's not competing with him. The two of them are, are doing their social media together now. They are a team. But this was pre-Lucy. Okay, so, that's true. So um, anyway, <laughs> it was... It's okay. it's it's been a fun I, it's been a fun time to be the humane society lobbyist. I'll say that. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, on that happy note, yep. what's happier than dogs and pets and cats and everything else? Uh, Jennifer Fearing, thank you very much for being here. Thank, thank you. Thank uh, you Tim, very much. Thank you, of course. And uh, this is John Howard with our Capital Weekly podcast, and we hope to see you next time around. Jennifer, thanks again. All right. Great.